This episode is brought to you by Objective Outcomes. If you're tired of fad diets, yo-yo dieting, and quick fixes that don't last, you should start a sustainable, behavior-based personal training that is primed for lifelong changes to promote a healthier lifestyle. You can find us at ObjectiveOutcomesABA.com. Also, if you are seeking remote supervision and interested in the application of ABA in health, sports, and fitness, we offer supervision for unrestricted hours, monthly group supervision where you can meet others on the same track as you. You can find more at ObjectiveOutcomesABA.com. This is an ABA podcast with two BAs and And no no BS. This is two BAs on a pod. Registered behavior technicians are required to ensure 5% of their monthly supervision is met. So we just wanted to start with this statement because we just feel like a lot of RBTs in our field don't understand or aren't really aware of their responsibility as an RBT, that once they take that test, it's kind of, that's their credential. It's not from the agency that they work with. It's not the responsibility on the BCBA that they're working under. So you as an RBT, you hold the responsibility to ensure that your supervision is met. We have to remember that our supervisors don't just have us as their supervisee like they have many rbts under them and we have to hold a certain responsibility to ourselves i know for me like i keep everything organized of how many contacts i have had how much time those contacts took up compared to what i worked on a monthly basis i know like for me there's been times where i text one of my supervisors about two weeks into the month hey we've had two contacts i need two more or i have had four contacts but i need about like 30 more minutes to be able to make the five percent can we jump on a phone call can we jump on telehealth one-on-one i've even had a supervisor before who um she had to cancel on me during a session but she was texting with me during that session because we were trying out something new with potty training that we were doing. Um, And for 30 minutes straight, I was checking in with her every like five minutes, letting her know what was going on. She was sending me questions so I could answer her. And yes, I was using my phone, but the child was fine. There was no like aggression or anything. And I was able to use that 30 minutes of time where I was texting her for supervision. So there's ways to get your supervision without Mm -hmm. your supervisor just being with you right there with the kid or your client. But Like a lot, I hear a lot of RBTs and I am still one. Um, So with not with people I work with, because my agency does a really good job at staying on top of it as well. But people I've met on Instagram or anything just complaining about their poor supervision, which that is a problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. But then why are you as an RBT just allowing that to happen? Like, you know, the protocol send your supervisor an email or a text message have something in writing that shows that you are trying to reach out and you're trying to make this relationship and the supervision you're getting better if that does not work go to your clinical director if that does not work go to the board that is what the board is there for um don't be afraid to do that because they're not doing their job correctly give mm-hmm. them grace because they're still human beings like maybe they're overwhelmed maybe if you have that quick conversation with them of hey i'm not getting enough contacts i'm not getting my five percent and i don't feel i'm learning here what mm-hmm. can we do with each other to make this more organized and better? Effective, that could yeah. That might help. But if you're not doing anything and all you're doing is complaining and shit-talking your BCBA, you're not doing your job as an RBT. And that's not yeah. fair to the supervisor. And I understand there's different types of people who are RBT. Like there's people that are in their graduate program accruing hours. Um, and then there's, there's the RBT that just wants to be the RBT. And that's totally fine too. But regardless, if you're in grad school and you want to be CBA or not, you still need to have your your practice, your clinical work supervised by a BCBA. And a lot of the times the agencies will just do your 40-hour training, do your like your assessment, and then take your test. Now you're RBT, and then you think that your job is done. But you did take that test. Um, it is in there. You do have your own ethical code to follow. So as an RBT, you do hold responsibility over your own um, certificate. So just keeping that in mind. And of course, 
like Ashley said, some BCBAs will be better at keeping track of their supervision and their contacts. And a contact means that you are meeting with that supervisor. So it could be through text, it could be through call, it could be through video, it could be in person. So there's different modes of ways you can um, receive those contacts, but it is ultimately your responsibility and that is in the ethics codes um, at like, per the BACB website. So that is that. <laughs> yeah, we just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I do just feel bad. I mean, I'm not a BCBA yet, but I'm close with some, even my own supervisors, and I know it can get overwhelming. And I feel like a lot of times there, again, there are people in every field that are doing shit wrong. Okay. And they just don't care. That's like, I don't care if you're a doctor, a police officer, a firefighter, a BCBA, whatever, a teacher. But I feel like a lot of times things can just be handled with communication. And so many times I bring that up when people DM me on Instagram. I'm like, hey, well, have you reached out to them and told them your concern? And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, okay, we'll do that. And then come back to me and let me know how that goes. Because if you can't communicate with your supervisor, how is anything? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when your kid is having an issue? Like if you can't even communicate on your basic needs that are set by the board, how are you going to communicate when there's an emergency or if you don't know how to handle a situation? Like communication is key. That is your mentor. That's somebody that's supposed to be guiding you and teaching you regardless of if you want to be a BCBA or not. Exactly. Let's do our um, EOA of the week. I'll go first. So my EO this week is – We're going on vacation next week. I have Mm. felt deprived of vacation. I'm just kidding. I'm just (laughs) just (laughs) excited to go. So um, I that's definitely my EO. We're going to be going to Lake Havasu. Um, By the way, guys, yes, vacation on the weekdays. It's way cheaper. Um, We're going like Monday, Monday through Thursday instead of like a Friday through Sunday deal. It's like we'll save half the money to vacation on the weekend and it's like less crowded wherever you go. So I'm really excited about that. And my AO this week, which I don't know, Ashley, maybe you can help me. I was thinking about it today because I went for a walk this morning and I'm like, is this an AO or is this just a barrier? But there is like construction going on um, outside of my house. It's like big construction. Like there's the whole alley has like a big hole and like the sidewalk is closed and we have to park like two blocks away. So it's like an AO to like get to my car and like go anywhere, like to go grocery shopping. That means I'm going to have to like walk like five blocks with groceries to my house because of this like major construction going on. So right. would you say it's an AO or like a barrier? I feel like it's an AO because it, it is like an environmental factor. Like all of those right. things you have to do to in from your car – are like the reinforcement like okay i have to get to my car to be able to get to the grocery store to get groceries to have food in my house like the food in your house is the reinforcement for all of that so like the response effort is just like growing now and i feel like that response effort increasing is like an ao to not wanting to reach the reinforcement i would say so okay yeah i was like this is definitely abolishing like my behavior like (laughs) i wanted i went on a walk today because i wanted to make sure i was like fully awake because we did this last week where (laughs) <laughs> for those who don't know, Ashley is Eastern time. I'm Pacific time. So we have a three yes. hour difference. So it's it's about 7.20 a.m. for me and it's 10.20 a.m. for her over there. So I we did this last week and I was like – I felt like I was kind of sleepy in the beginning until we st- really started talking. So I was like, I want to make sure I'm actually awake. So I went for a walk this morning. Um, but I went for a walk and it was like – like hella trucks just like parked. I had to like walk around my building and like walk on the main street, which is like not like Zen at all. So it right. was just like at, like abolishing my walking behavior as well. Right. No, I would say for sure that's an AO. And yeah, that's our time difference. Like we either meet and it's like 7 a.m. for Alex or it's like 10 p.m. for me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like it's always our, like that. <laughs> it's always like random times. But I actually yeah. like our morning our morning because it fits with our coffee vibe. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I have some too. (laughs) Exactly. So I actually enjoy it. Yeah. No, I do too. I like it. I'm a morning person. So yeah, same. 
Um, for me, I think my I'm gonna start with my AO because it's like bothering the fuck out of me that I'm trying I'm applying to the board right now. Oh yes. And they changed the way that they did like the final verification form, like the final one where you put like two thousand hours on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And all of like my supervisor who's been a supervisor for 15 years is confused. So like I'm confused <laughs> and then I emailed the board and they I feel like did not understand what I was asking them. So they answered me and they were like, OK, well, now go back to your supervisor if you have any more questions. So then like they sent me back to her and then I sent it to you and you were like, oh, yes. yeah, this seems normal. And then I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. So um, I see my other supervisor Monday. So she hasn't signed it yet, which is fine. But I feel like she just wants to like figure it out <laughs> first, right? Before but she signs. I'm j- yeah. But I'm like, I feel like it's fine. But in my head now, I just have all these private events of like, I'm going to have to redo all of my hours. Like I'm like going to like the extreme of like right. the worst situation worst case. possibly. Be. Then I'm also like, well, I've already emailed them. So are they going to audit me? Because <laughs> like they know. <laughs> that I'm confused so like it's just like that is like making me not want to do anything because I'm like I can't focus on anything until that's done so it's like is that abolishing or is that just like an anxiety like I don't even know (laughs) no I feel like it's abolishing you to like turn it in because you have all these other variables like they're gonna audit me I'm gonna have to turn in all of my paperwork all of my tracking system which which is not even required anymore isn't it yeah no, so like I the, wouldn't even, the monthly forms they'll ask for. Yeah, they might they might require the monthly forms and then they might require well they might require like your unique tracking system. Right. Which is yeah, so, no, which you ha- which I do it in a notebook, but I'm like, God, I'm gonna have to like turn it all in. Yeah. Is that like is it okay that it's a notebook? <laughs> I, I'm just so old school. I like writing it down. But I'm like, no, I think you should be fine. Google Doc, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. When I first turned in my paperwork um, to apply for the board, it um, was like rejected. Why was it rejected? Oh, I had put like the wrong date. Like instead of like 2020, oh, I put okay. like 2019 or something stupid. Right. Like it was totally like a my error. My, my error. So they yeah. had like said like that makes no sense. <laughs> like how did yeah, you like yeah. end supervision? after you started or like how did you end it in like three months it was just like my right. my fault so I just had to turn it in with the right date and they didn't audit me or anything like that so right no I think that's just making like I'm like that I will super one anxious thing, yeah like I don't think I have like debilitating anxiety like I don't I've only really had like a handful of like anxiety or panic attacks in my life like I it's not very consistent either but I get like if something like this happens, I automatically go to like the most extreme thing that like like this, like my hours are right. going to get denied. I'm going to have to re- start from zero or I'm going to have to redo like 500 of them. Like I just start thinking of like the worst case scenario when it's like literally that hasn't even no one even made a like a comment to that being a right. Like it's not even <laughs> but like in a my head. Now. I'm like thinking that. So then like I don't know why I do that. I literally, I'll do that with anything. Person. I'll do that with literally anything. Like, if um, so like I'm really bad with like plans, right? So if I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to do something at three o'clock, but then at like two o'clock, something either gets canceled on me or changes. This would happen to me all the time when I had multiple clients on my schedule mm-hmm. and like a cancellation yes. would happen. Like in my like, it just like ruins my day. Like I'm like it I, is. but in Same. my head. I'm like, this is the type of stuff that I'm like, am I on the spectrum? Because I'm so particular, yes. you know, like, yes. I'm like, yes. okay, well, I was going to do this at two. And now I'm not. And so like, I don't even want to go to work at all. Like, I just yeah, like go no, to like sure. zero to 100. And I don't yes. know why I do that. It's so weird. So that's no, just I one hate, of these things. Yeah, I hate that too. Like, that's the thing in our field, like the cancellations, especially like midday cancellation, like let's say you have a morning client, an yes. afternoon client, and like a a night client and then you're like your afternoon client cancels and then you have like this five hour gap and you're like I don't even want to go to my next client because what what the fuck I'm already like gonna be home like this is not the flow of my day I used to really hate that especially when all my clients would be like in certain areas so I would have to like drive all the way home and drive all the way back to that area Mm -hmm. like in four like it was so dumb because with traffic it's like I would be home for like an hour 
It's no, so, for yeah, sure. I hated that stuff too. Because we both live in areas where the traffic is bad. There it's were so crazy. many times where something like that would happen to me, and I'm like, well, I can't even go home because by the time I get home, I can't even. I have to literally yeah. pull into my driveway to pull out like, of my driveway. Exactly. But I have a three hour gap, so like, where do I go? Exactly. Like, yeah. and I just would sit in my car for three hours, like a fucking weirdo, in like a parking lot or yeah. something. But um, yeah, so that's my AO. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we record, I'll let you guys know how that worked. Unless you follow me on Instagram, you'll see already. Which, by the way, I fucking put a post on my story for one of y'all to help me and nobody did. So thanks. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, My EO is that, hmm, let me think, because I didn't like prepare, prepare them. I usually prepare them. Um... This is bad because this is like consuming me that I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck it is. There's Um, nothing motivating you. My EO, okay, I know what my EO is. So I was feeling like a lot of, uh, like I didn't really give a fuck about going to work anymore because I wasn't staying at this school and like I was like kind of like salty about like the salary they offered me. Right. But the thing is, I really love the school that I work at. Like I love everybody I work with. Um, I love the students. I love interacting with students. That's why I wanted to be a teacher. That's why I wanted to teach middle school in particular. Like there's if you are a middle school teacher, you just know like there's like an interaction that you get with the kids. It's just different. It's different than right. another age group. Um, and I really love that. I'm not very social. I'm an introvert at heart. But with my kids, like I can talk to them and hang with them all day. Like I just I love it. And I have this student who she has ODD, so operational defiance disorder. And she was rough. Like, it was very hard. I've never worked with that before. It's now probably one of my – it actually is probably my favorite thing to work with. I would love to work more with ODD in the future. Mm -hmm. But I've just had a lot – I'm the only teacher who has had, like, progress with her. She's having struggles with other teachers. And her mom and I have, like, communicated through email a lot and, like, on Zoom and stuff. And her mom is just, like, so grateful for me. And she sent me, like, the nicest email yesterday because it was, like, Teacher Appreciation Week. And she gave me a few gifts. And um, But one of the gifts accidentally, like, her mom forgot to put the Starbucks gift card in the envelope. And I was like, oh, I hate this because I don't want to have to tell her because, like, it sounds like I'm, like, asking for it. But I know she'd want to know. So I emailed her to let her know. And I, like, thanked her. And she told me that I was, like, her daughter's safe place at school. And like that just was like that is why I I made a reel about it because that is the reason I wanted to like be a teacher. And right. like when I switched to education as my major because I started as pre-med and then pre-law and then I was like, okay, no. Mm-hmm. And I was like kind of embarrassed of it because I had told everybody in my life, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. Like everybody was like, oh, wow. And your parents are a piece of shit. So like, that's cool. Right. So like, I just felt like this reinforcement of like, I'm going to be a fucking doctor. Like I'm going to be a surgeon. Cool. So when I told people I wanted to be a teacher, everybody was like, oh, like nobody gave me any. (laughs) Yeah, no one gave a fucking shit. Everybody was like, oh, and what are you going to? And then it was like, so are you going to teach special ed? Are you going to teach this? It was like they had, they were looking for more. And I was like, oh, no, I want to teach English. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I love English. Um, And so then I was like, I did that and like no one cared. But then I really like was like, okay, so like, why am I doing this? And I had to reflect on like all the teachers in my life that like, stopped me from like dropping I wanted to drop out so many times especially in high school like I this one specific teacher I still talk to her now I have her on Facebook I would like go to her crying almost every day and like I just want to drop out I want to run away I would just become a cop I'll go to the military like I just had a million other things I would have done because I just didn't want to be there and she's the reason I didn't and I like I graduated like top five percent of my class in high school like I was not like a bad student I just like hated my personal life so I just like wanted to run away so I um just getting that email like is giving me an EO to like keep going because like I just didn't really feel like going to work anymore and the kids were like annoying me the set the environment was annoying me being there was annoying me but like that just like gave me a new EO to like go to work every day for the rest of the year and kind of now I'm like fuck like this is now I'm sad that I'm leaving I know (laughs) because that relationship and I said it on my reel too is like the relationship you get between being a teacher and a student is not the same in ABA. We make great relationships with our families and our clients, but it's a different, it's a different um, connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how to describe it unless you teach, but it's like that girl, I am the only one in her corner at school. 
everybody, right. even admin, I've had to stand up to admin for her. Like her parents pay X, Y, and Z for her to come here. We're not giving up on her. Like I right. don't care. It is my job. It is our job to fix and work with these situations and help her and give her the accommodation she needs for her to grow. If you do it correctly, it will work because it worked with right. me. So don't give up on her. And I've just, I don't know, like she comes to me like about, per- not super, super personal, not too personal, nothing drawing like an ethical line. Right. But in my classroom, I'm not an RBT. So it is a little exactly. bit more open. Um, it's never anything inappropriate. It's never anything. And if it ever is something where there's like, I feel her mother needs to know, I involve her mom and the guidance counselor. And I tell mm-hmm. her like, listen, girl, like, um, because of this, I, this is something I do have to tell your mom. Um, but like, don't worry, like you're not going to get in trouble or anything. It's just like, this is a conversation that like your parents need to know we're having. Um, but I don't know, it's just a different connection. So I'm going to miss that because I just, I know in our field, it's just, it's different. It's not as like, um, I don't want to say it's not loving because like it is like I not love my clients. Yes. Like when you're a teacher, it's just not as clinical. There's a mm-hmm. lot of barriers we hold up in our field because of our ethics code. And I think they yeah. should be there. Like Especially I definitely we're do. Homes. I mean, that yeah. just has a whole new dynamic right. when so you're coming different. to people's homes. Yeah, yeah, like we need the boundaries we have in place. This sure. is my classroom. I'm not going exactly. to her house, you know, like I'm exactly. not, I would never go to a birthday party for her. I would still hold those certain standards. But I think it also is because she can talk to me. Like my client right now is, he's turning 14 tomorrow, today actually, it's his birthday. Um, and I brought him like little M&Ms yesterday and like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, cause I love, I've been with him for two years. I love that client, but I can't talk with him like I talk with him because I'm teaching him introverbals and I'm teaching him that but these my students come to me with their interests their goals right their, and it's I connect with them as people and, and that's what's so cool about middle school too and I'm sorry I'll wrap this up because I know this is like going along <laughs> but middle school is like kids are really finding their autonomy and their independence and their personality and their interests they've probably been in soccer for since kindergarten because their dad wanted them in soccer and now they're like I want to do jujitsu and their parents switch them out and they're like wow I really like jujitsu like it's just so different and they it's like you get to have conversations with them you get to connect with them with them who they are I don't have to teach them how to do that um and I love teaching kids how to do that don't get me wrong but I love being able to just be on the other end of it and just enjoy it and see kids like really grow um naturally on their own the way we do when we're when we can (laughs) Mm -hmm. but so yeah that's it in today's episode we are going to be talking about the homelessness crisis epidemic whatever you want to call it um and we want to talk about it as objectively as possible, but we're also going to be talking about our own personal experience with homelessness. So there's going to be some like subjectiveness to this conversation. Um, The reason I, this was my like episode idea because, Mm -hmm. so I live in Long Beach, California, which is a city where we are like inundated with homelessness. Um, Our apartment complex was constantly being broken into by the homeless population. They were stealing our mail. Um, my husband is a plumber, so his tools have been stolen like over four times. One time they oh actually God. stole his whole van, like his whole van was gone. <laughs> like they just took it. Bye. And, go. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it's just been crazy because we lived in like the bad parts of Long Beach where the homeless was like super bad. Like we would, couldn't even walk to the donut shop. Um, without right. like being harassed by some like a homeless person, um, and then we li- now we live in a nicer area of Long Beach, and it's still uh, pretty bad. Like there's a bus stop, a bus stop near my house, and there's constantly just like homeless hanging out at the bus stop, and just right. rapping or shouting or whatever. They're not hurting anybody, but they're just there. Um, yeah. But it does become a problem when they are st- stealing our stuff or when they're uh, making a mess outside of our apartment complex or uh, we have to like walk over their sleeping bags while we're trying to just go on a nice walk. So that is like kind of like I want to talk about why is this becoming worse? Like what are the behaviors around it? Uh, What's this maintaining the behaviors of homelessness and like the policies that are being 
in place in our cities and um just so yeah just the the psychology of it so right i guess we'll start with our own experience of homelessness so um ashley and i both have experience of being homeless Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so we're me, not like complete haters. Like we get it. Like exactly. No, exactly. That's right. why I think we want to start with our own experience because, like, I mean, if you guys are have been listening, we're pretty open about like our fucked up upbringing. Um, yeah, which I think it's just so crazy. Just like a little tangent that me and Ashley found each other through Instagram, but we have so much right. in common. Like our energies just somehow like found each other through like the no, wavelength yeah. of Instagram. It's so crazy to me. But we do have a lot in common, and one of it is that we both experienced this. So growing up, my my family, we, like, moved a lot, and we throughout those, like, times we moved, we've been homeless. And um, it's, like, my family – well, because of their the drug problem, which is we'll mm-hmm. get into, like, the high direct correlation of um, drug addiction and homelessness. Um, because of my parents and their, their drug issues – Money management was just nothing – it was not something that they knew how to manage money or how to, like, prioritize bills, prioritize rent. Right. It just wasn't, like, something that they had any idea or even, like, they, they care to learn because, you know, priority is drugs. Right. So quick story about my dad. So growing up, we were moving a lot, you know, bouts of being homeless – my dad was working uh, in construction. Mm-hmm. He fell from a two-story building um, while he was working. He filed a lawsuit and he won. So he won like, I want to say close to like two hundred to $300,000, which is Crazy. a lot of fucking money. Yeah, it's a Hell lot of yeah. money for us. Like we are like project kids, a lot of money for us. We were roaches in our apartment. Like it, it wasn't like a... We were coming from money. We were coming from pretty like like poverty, 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 and then having all this money. You would think it would fix our problem of like uh, perpetual homelessness, right? So we got this money, of course, after payout from lawyers, whatever. I'm not sure how much he had, but it was at least like two hundred thousand dollars. That is right, right. easily a down payment for a house, easily. Um, but with instead, money left over, to be with honest, with money left over, yeah, yeah, yeah. we could have got we could have got a car, we could have got a house, and we could have been straight. Like he could have started a business. Like there's so many other things we could have done with that money. Uh, long story short, we were homeless within a year, so n- with nothing to show for. I mean, right? He had like a Harley, a Harley um, motorcycle at one point. Um, we had like a boat at one point. Just like random he had shit. Random shit. Yeah, random shit. I'm sure he was high out of his mind the entire time. Um, every purchase my- was <laughs> <laughs> every purchase was right after doing drugs. Like Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh, oh yeah, God, we got I a can't. we got a bulldog, which we loved him so much. Mm. But I'm I'm sure he pay- I think he paid like two thousand dollars for this bulldog. Like right, of course. It was like shit. full like, bread, he- like <laughs> exactly. Like he would go on benders and come back with like yeah. the most randomest shit ever. Um so yeah, so we were homeless again within a year of of living a fucking crazy year life. Like we were going on trips. <laughs> like we never did we never experienced the life that we had within that one year. Like right. we went to like Tahoe as a family. We rented like uh, a ki- we went kayaking like we were not a kayaking ass family but we no. kayaked that year like it was like oh it was God. a great yeah it was a great year <laughs> for like the kids but I'm sure my parents were just like high out of their mind like just fucking like <laughs> so oh, yeah so great. we and yeah I'll never forget like walking home and like the U-Haul truck was there and like they're like pack up your room or like going back to grandma's and um from there, yeah. So we were homeless in a year after all that money. Who fucking knows what happened to it? Um, and actually, that was like right before my mom died. Um, so right. I really – this is why I think my mom died from stress. Right, So my right. dad like – yeah, my dad like left. He left us for my, my stepmom who he ended up having okay. um, yeah, the five kids with. He left with her and then me and my mom um, and my brother. My brother was like in and out of juvenile hall. Me and my mom were right. actually, like, legitimately homeless at that point. Like, we were right. homeless in a sense where we were, like, sleeping at different family members' homes. But, like, after yeah. that, after all of that money, me and my mom were legitimately, like, sleeping at Motel 6. 
uh, all of our stuff packed in the car. Like it was like legit homelessness at that point. So that is why I'm like, what? Obviously, money is not the answer or obviously housing wasn't the answer in that situation. Like it did not change behaviors. So right. that is my personal experience. Um, and then I'll go ahead and t- let you tell yours, Ashley, and then we'll get into okay. like <laughs> what we think is like maintaining homelessness. Right. So for me, like my parents um, are kind of similar in the fact that they did struggle with drugs, but um, they struggled with drugs like before we all came into the picture. My mother actually was like fresh out of rehab when she got pregnant with me. So that was probably great. And um <laughs> Yeah. And but my whole life they struggled with alcohol like they were alcoholics to the fullest. Like Mm -hmm. so even though there wasn't like drug abuse in the home, um, there was like alcohol abuse and it was pretty bad. So I think, though, that the okay, a huge problem with people who do drugs and are alcoholics most of the time is that they again have no like concept of like money or how to handle money like and I Mm -hmm. sorry that that's generalizing but from my experience like my parents are not the only people in my life with this issue Mm -hmm. like handling money is just like one of the prerequisite skills that are just not mastered when you have substance abuse problems so even though that they weren't using drugs they were alcoholics so they were probably obviously spending god knows how much money on alcohol but they also just have had never and still don't have absolutely no idea like how to be financially stable and my father Mm -hmm. has worked Mm -hmm. in blue collar work my whole life he's been in the elevator industry working for a union like he's had a good job um Mm -hmm. making good money good benefits like we've always had insurance because of his job um he's gotten laid off here and there like and stuff like that that's that comes with the trade but it's Mm -hmm. like there was no reason on paper for us to be as poor as we were my whole life right like my whole life there was no reason for it anything I had that made me because I didn't look poor because I went to Catholic school um I had all these things my grandma paid for all that they did not pay Mm -hmm. for any of that they've lived above their means my entire life um would once I was able to start working, I had to give them a lot of my money for not just for like God knows what the fuck they were doing with it, but like for my brother, um, if he needed lunch at school or uniforms or my sister, like I had to pay for all of that. So when I was 20, I had just finished um, my associate's degree and um, I, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to share this, but I will because I don't even know if I've told you this, but I was going to go to the Navy. So I um, didn't, I wasn't working at this point in time because I was supposed to leave. Mm-hmm. I had my date to leave in a month and um, they weren't getting like any money for me because I didn't have any because I was getting the fuck out of their house. I was tired of their shit. So um, we got evicted and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like, where are we going to go? Like, what is happening? I remember they just, I don't even know where they got this money from, but like a U-Haul truck showed up, all of our stuff went in it. And I don't even know where that truck went. I don't even remember like what we got back after this. Like I had all of my stuff like in my car because I didn't even want them to take it because I don't even know what they got back from what they put in that U-Haul truck, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And we were homeless and we had nowhere to go. And I remember like driving around for hours with my mom And, like, my brother and sister in the back of the car, which they weren't, like, young either because we're all three years apart. So, like, nobody was, like, young. Well, actually, my sister got shipped to my grandma's house. My grandma was, like, you're sending her here. She was the only minor at that time. Well, my brother was 17. I was 20. My brother was – my brother was also – had already signed his contract to leave for the Marines when he graduated high school. So um, my brother and I didn't leave, but my sister was only 14. So my grandma was, like – fucking sent her here like she took my sister which my sister was miserable there because my grandma's crazy but that's a whole other thing so (laughs) so my brother and I were with my mom we're driving around for hours like these janky ass motels where there's like Mm -hmm. literally fucking prostitutes standing outside like it was just disgusting because like it was so embarrassing yeah and it was so embarrassing and the thing is like I'm white okay like I'm Italian American but I look fucking white as fuck like people don't think that I've struggled because of how like white I am like people look at me and they're like oh you went to Catholic school and you're this and it's like okay yeah but like this was some this was a reality for me and most people don't think that right so then finally my mom was like okay well, to my dad like we can't like stay at any of these she called him I don't even know I think he was at work she called him she was like because he had to still go to work 
Um, we can't like stay at any of these places. And mind you, in this moment when this was happening, my father was actually in like an office position at this point. He's not anymore. He's back in the field, like training people who are like getting into elevators. So he does more hands-on stuff now. But at the time he was um, in the office and he was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. So this is why I'm wow. saying like there was right. absolutely no reason that we were this broke and they had nothing. They had no their bank accounts were negative. They had no savings account like they have right. and they still don't like they still do not have money. So anyway, there was no reason for it. So right. I just remember like my dad was like not wanting to call his mom because that's the grandma that like usually helps us and was like, no, right. like we're not calling her. We're not calling her. We have to make this work. And she was like, there is nowhere for us to stay. Like we have to call her. So then my mother wound up calling her. She got us into an extended stay motel, which is like, um, mm -hmm. I don't know yeah. if you guys have ever stayed at one. It has like a kitchen in it. It's like, but it was just very like we all were in that one room, like right. all four of us. Right. Yeah. So it was just very and with three, by the way, with two dogs at the time. Yeah. With two dogs, two big dogs. So it was just it was an interesting situation. Not comfortable. We were in there for like almost two months um, or like two months. And then they finally got a house to rent, which, again, was because of the help of my grandmother. Mm -hmm. So um, even though, yes, I wasn't like in the streets, luckily, like, thank God I, I didn't have to do that. But if I didn't have extended family that could have helped, I would have been. Right. Um, and I didn't have anywhere to go because I also had just gotten out of like a horrible relationship where I lost like all of my friends because of it. So I like I literally would have been in the street. So I definitely see that that privilege was there. Right. But of having that, that the family. behaviors around the money thing, I think, are so crazy because that is not just them. There are so many families in this country that make salaries that they could sustain an entire, like they could create generational wealth off of. Right. And they do not know how to handle their money. So they get put mm -hmm. in these situations where they're living above their means. And it's like, oh, but your salary is 150K a year and you have nothing to show for it. Like you're saying exactly. like that all of that money. And there was only a year later, there was nothing to show for it. Like Ex what nothing to show fuck? for. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, clearly there's going to be different reasons why homelessness occurs. Like Clearly for us, like it was our parents had no money management skills, um, even when they had money. It wasn't like right, like they were like not working or there were like minimum wage jobs, which was the case pr previously, which was why we were homeless before that right. because we weren't just making enough money to like to survive. But right. – um, or, or not. I'm not really sure, honestly. But when my dad got all that money, it was still the same behaviors. Um, so clearly there's different reasons going to be – poor money management skills, which is a prerequisite to life, which I believe like we need to start teaching our kids more. Um, clearly, drug addiction is a huge factor. Um, yeah. And I honestly believe, and there is correlation of this, that most people who use drugs have some sort of trauma. So I think having yes. like childhood trauma where and then you're using the drugs to like medicate or cope, like that is a whole problem in itself. Right. Because I know a lot of the um, the homelessness. I so there's this book that I'm starting to read. Um, it's called San Francisco, and <laughs> I love um, the name of it. Yes, it, it's all about the homelessness crisis, and the highest like the highest correlation, the biggest factor is the drug addiction problem. Um, and they they did some studies. One study showed that. The um, even the house, so they gave they did like a study, like they had a control group where they did not house them, um, and then they had another group of um, homeless people that they housed, and right. the rate the death rate remained the same. So, housed or unhoused, obviously, you're still using the drugs, and that makes sense to us, like behavior analysts, like clearly we're not like setting up any contingencies, we're not saying like we'll give you a house and you'll stop using drugs, like right, right. Like, I think we do need to set up some contingencies for the homelessness. Like, first, like, let's get clean. Let's work out, like, why you want to use drugs. How can we get you successfully off drugs? Um, how can you, like, integrate mm -hmm. in society? And then, like, you know, maybe we can help them out with housing. So right. I think that's a major issue is is the drug addiction and the, like, the policies that we set in place for the homeless population. So if you're in California, you, you know that we're a very, very liberal state. 
and liberal in that we want to provide extra accommodations for like the um, marginalized groups, which would be like the homeless population. Um, But I think it's to a point where we're just reinforcing behaviors. Right. So for example, um, we have like giving out free needles, um, setting up like porter potties for the homeless, um, giving them like safe safe places to park their cars and sleep at night like those are all good sentiments i totally agree like it's good sentiments but in reality it's just reinforcing behaviors and it's causing a bigger issue um in in this book that i'm reading people are coming from different states to california because they um they believe that it's just better here to live as a homeless person. But that would make perfect sense because here, I feel like one, think about the climate because here and there, beautiful weather most of the time. I know it gets colder there than it does here, but how many times a month is it like warm and beautiful and it rains? Okay, there's a free like shower. Uh, Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm I'm just being dead ass serious. Like if you're homeless and like it rains here, it's not cold rain. Like you got some warm rain here, right? Right. Um, And then you're getting all this like reinforcement. You're getting all of these like reinforcers to help you live that way. Now here it's not like that. Cause um, I think cause like Florida all as a whole is more of like a red state. Like we're not yeah. very liberal, but yeah. um, there's homeless people all the time on the street when you're at red lights, like banging on your window, like demanding money That's in certain places you're at, you see someone cracked out, on the sidewalk you get nervous that these people are ruthless like they will pull your door handle if they want to like Mm -hmm. so that stuff does still happen but we don't give like you can't just have like this safe space to park your car you don't have like porter potties set up so that you don't shit in the street like yep and it's like again those things sound good right like okay well it's gonna keep our streets cleaner and it's gonna keep uh, like murder and all these things down, but again, yeah, like it's you're like harm just- reduction is the is like they think it's harm reduction. That's how right. they're like approaching it. Yeah, right. So like for society, maybe I can see like health wise, like obviously if there's just people shitting in the street and throwing needles out in the grass right. and all these things like that. Imagine a child running and stepping on a needle on accident, and then now this kid has HIV for the rest of their life. Like that is terrible. Right. But there's no contingency in place of or a task analysis or anything in place for there to be okay we're gonna start here and we're gonna end somewhere better it's just like mm-hmm. you can just stay like this and Forever. we will fund we'll fund it like we'll figure yes. we'll, don't worry about it we'll take care of it yes. that to me doesn't make any sense because like that's like being like with parents who allow their kids to just live home rent free, you don't have to go to college. You can just right. stay home and not do anything all day. Um, Response effort. Spoil their child, and then their kids, forty five, living in their basement, and the parent is like, "I just don't understand why they won't move out. It's time for us to have alone time." It's like, well, you didn't. There was nothing set in place for this child exactly. to do anything. So why would they? It's the same thing. Like, why are we keeping people so low when they can be better? If we're spending all this Mm -hmm. money to give them resources to just keep the community clean, why don't we spend that money and give them resources to not be homeless or to not rehabilitate, like truly, like truly rehabilitate and try to fix the problem? I mean, there's like policies where you're allowed to still. This is in California, at least, where you're allowed to still at least up to a nine hundred dollars worth of merchandise, and the police cannot do anything. Um, right, that's crazy. So homeless people are just going into Walgreens. I mean, I forget how many number, like 20, over 20 Walgreens had to shut down in the Bay Area because of this oh problem where homeless people are just stealing um, all of their merchandise and outside of the CVS Walgreens selling it for a lower rate. And and the cops, they can't do anything about it. Um, so I, I just feel like the policies that are in place is just not fixing the problem. We're just right. we're just creating this this system where it's like, why the response effort why should i get clean which i'm sure is really fucking hard i mean i've never struggled personally right. with drug addiction Me i mean I've done, I've done a lot of drugs but i've never struggled <laughs> with it. i've never struggled with really? the addiction part i've never yes. done anything can you believe that <laughs> yes i've done a lot a i've lot. never I've been, done was, any people that's crazy I'm lying i'm so no, serious. that's cr- no, that's, that's crazy that's a different episode we can totally have episodes yeah we have to right yeah um 
but no, like, so my my nephew, my oldest sister is, I don't know, she's probably like 45 now. So my nephew is like just three, three years younger than me. Um, mm-hmm. He is an addict. Um, mm. He's he's a heroin addict. So it's, you know, now it's that's fentanyl. Rough. Yeah, yeah fentanyl. It's like, my God, like that drug is fucking crazy. Um, it's, yeah, we should definitely it's do like the worst. episode yeah, on we that. Should, yeah, we have to, worse. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, um, I've helped him, I tried to help him many times. Like he stayed with me many times times throughout the year and I tried to um, my husband like offered him a job and it was like we had to my husband would have to like wake him up like wake up you need to get up for work like no I'm sick I don't feel good and it's like you have a job that was given to you like a good decent like you can make a career out of plumbing yeah oh hell yeah they make great money yeah like we had to like force him like we bought him boots we bought him work clothes um, my husband was even willing to sell him an old car. Like he was like, all you right. have to do is get your license. Like we had these contingencies, like all you have to do is get your license. We'll sell you this old car that we have and, um, you'll, you have a job and you could pay us back in payments for, um, the car. Like we, we really try to like reduce the response effort, but he would rather, you know, do the drugs and stay at Skid Row. He ended up at Skid Row because we, like I said, I live in Long Beach. So Skid Row is in Los Angeles. He was legitimately a homeless person on Skid Row by choice because he could have stayed with me, but we had rules. You cannot leave the house past this time. Um, you can't go kick it with anybody because um, we also live near, next to a methadone clinic, um, which oh, is shit. for addicts to, um, it's kind of a way to get them off of the drugs and instead right. Um, replace it with methadone, which is like a replacement behavior. Right, right. Um, it's like a, a, a lesser amount of the same opioids. Right. And um, he would go to the methadone clinic and he would link up with the same – like addicts there. So it was just like it was – yeah, it was not conducive for success when we tried as hard as we could to get him off the streets. And now he's in Oregon, which they decriminalized all drugs. Um, really? And I don't really know – yeah, it's decriminalized. It's not legalized. It's decriminalized. Which so you I can't don't really get like know. arrested for it. Yeah, I'm not too sure my opinion on that. I I feel I'm not sure about my, my opinion on that. I got to do more research. But he's in Oregon now, homeless right. over there, probably because it's easier to be homeless, right? So if you're decriminalizing drugs in Oregon, you're probably you're just um, even more welcoming to that community. So the people that live over there have to deal with more homelessness, more drug addiction, more crime that comes with it. So it's just this perpetuating cycle that we're just digging a deeper and deeper hole. Um, and it's like, wh- how do we fix it? <laughs> I don't right. know. I don't know how we fix it. But what we're doing right now is just um, perpetuating it. No, I agree. I think so, too. Because I just – but it's it's true. Because I'm like, what do we do? Just, like, put them all in jail? Like, we can't do that either. We like, can't that do that either. That wouldn't yeah. even make sense either and i think i would love to see data i wish i looked it up of just like the percentage of people who are homeless um due to like drug use and drug abuse or due to like financial troubles um i know that many veterans are as well which there's a lot of resources for veterans as well um Mm -hmm. so i'd love to like know more about that but i just would love to see the data of why and like the age groups because i'm wondering now like is there an increase in younger people being homeless, I just feel like there's a huge movement of like there's a major spike from the free book that spirits, I read. If that makes sense, where like hippies, yeah, like I feel like we're coming back to like the 70s a little bit, like just those carefree yeah. vibes, which is like whatever people can live however they want. But I'm just wondering if there's more people in our age group or even younger than us that are just feeling very like I know that a lot a lot of people don't really like college anymore and right. be on influencers and wh- whatever they want to do. So I'm just wondering if there's like an increase in a younger generation of people just choosing homelessness over um, the response effort of being an adult. Right, right. And we'll link this book, but according to San Francisco, there is a huge spike in homelessness in the past decade. Right. And I think it's heavily correlated with the drug use. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I the, dr- the f- introduction of fentanyl, it's been a, a craze. Um, so there was a story in this book where 
this this lady, she was uh, a tech in San Francisco. She um, earned engineering degree. She worked in like um, some techie business and she was well off, not well off, but she was just starting her life, like fresh out right. of college, got a tech job in the tech bubble over there and um, um, in the Bay Area. And then she was introduced to Coke and she tried God Coke. damn it. Yeah. And, you know, that's a party drug. It's acceptable and you party a little bit. You feel good. You feel you feel like you're on a high superior. Um, and then she started doing meth. Um, oh, and then she was high at work and doing meth. And then she lost her job and then she lost her house. And then she was a homeless person right on the camp, like same campground as, as all the homeless people. And then that was her life. So it was just like a, a steep decline once she started the drug addiction. Um, and it was next thing she knows, she was waking up to people next to her overdose, needles in their arm. And it was like that was her life at that point. And drug addiction is 1000% a disease. It's I don't believe it's a choice and i've been around really you don't. addicts no i've been around addicts my whole life it's a choice when you first pick up the drug when you first do it of course right. it's a choice but once you are addicted it is a disease um oh and i see what is, you're saying yeah i once you are addicted to that drug it's definitely a disease and you um it's like the diabetes right diabetes type 2 Picking up the so drinking the soda, drink eating the cake, that's a choice. But once you get the diabetes, you can't choose to not have diabetes, right? So once mm. you once you get the I mean, unless you change your behaviors, I right. But they need to we need to learn how to change behaviors with the drug addiction and get them um less dependent on that drug. So Right. We come back to to, to it is in my opinion, the homelessness and the drug addiction. Um, and then the money management that comes along with the drug addiction, like those are like the big barriers, the big reasons why this is like continuing. And then the policies we have in place is just reinforcing those behaviors, allowing people. Well, now they're they're like thinking about setting a policy where we have um, uh, eject injection sites where people can bring yes. their own drugs. Um, this is actually policies in Canada right now. Um, the New York too, right? Well, the bill is being like proposed. It has not mm -hmm. been passed yet, but um, in New York, they're considering it where people can go bring their own drugs and then they'll have like nurses or whatever, like monitoring the drug use. It's like, what the fuck are we doing? Like we're going back. We're just reinforcing the behavior of the drug addiction. Like it's right. I don't know. I would love to have an expert. If you're listening to this and you're cringing, like, come on, like, let's talk because yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I need to talk about this. Do you think the the link of the legalization of marijuana? Do you think there's a link between the legalization of marijuana and this? Because I personally don't. But if you think mm -hmm. about like if it's the last decade, the last decade is when that started. I remember right. being in high school when the first. Um, I think it was like Colorado legalized marijuana um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. medically for the for the first time whatever state it was but I remember when the first state because I'm fucking old 10 years ago I was in high school the first state legalized marijuana mm -hmm. for medical purposes and um, I remember thinking I was like oh my god so many people are gonna die and then people like that I went to high school with were like <laughs> so what the fuck die. are you talking about bitch like no we smoke out die. all day and I was yeah. like no 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 not off of like marijuana but I'm like this is just the start like it's not going to just that stay medical. It's going to become recreational. And then the, and I was like, yes, that's not the problem, right? Like marijuana is whatever. Who gives a fuck? How many people yeah. smoke? Every Almost everybody. I'm probably the only person in the country that hasn't smoked weed. Probably. So <laughs> then you're like, <laughs> so then, but like that, that societal acceptance opens the door to societal acceptance of other things. Now we're seeing mm -hmm. like what you're saying. Okay. There's going to be this bill proposed in New York to legally inject heroin at certain places. 10 years ago, people would have been like, what the fuck? No, right. absolutely not. Like, but now it's like people are like thinking about reduction. it and talking about it. And it's like, okay, again, I don't, I'm not an expert. That's why we're saying if you're an expert and you want to talk about it, cool. I would love to but talk to you. Yes. Like to me, I'm just like marijuana. I don't think is the the problem. Like smoking weed is not a problem. I don't really care. I think that's this is like, like the reefer madness, but, like the gateway drug is marijuana. right. But and I like <laughs> I'm like, but if you think about it, like if that is so, like I feel like there's people 
like I'm thinking of my own family, like my fucking grandma who's like 75 and conservative as fuck, like Catholic going to church every Sunday. If 10 years ago, my cousin, my cousin, my uncle, a few people in my family smoke weed <laughs> recreationally. They have medical marijuana cards, so they do it technically medically, but it's not. Um, and they talk, they <laughs> openly talk about it now. I, well, I don't know if in New York it's recreational now. If it is, then they, I guess they are doing it legally because they both live in New York. But they talk about it openly now. I did not know that shit 10 years ago. And they right, were doing it right. 10 years ago. And they talk yeah. about it in front of my grandma. And my grandma doesn't care. I know my fucking grandma. If 10 years ago, one of us told her we were smoking weed, she would have probably been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, right. she would have went off. So it's like if the that age group is like think is not as affected by it. That's only one person. But taking that right. one person who I know I grew up with my whole life, who's very conservative, very straight edge viewpoint that's just like where she comes from that's the, right. the time period she comes from is like she doesn't care yeah how like so what is right. it is they it because it's legal it's been legal for a decade so why does weed doesn't matter so then all these other things i feel like it yeah. trickles into them and now it's like we have just this different viewpoint on drugs overall as a society yeah. you see so many people there's so much empathy and sympathy shown towards drug addicts yeah. There's no accountability most of the time. People just feel so bad for them. Oh, they must have had such a hard life. They must have this. They yeah. must have that. Oh my God, you've been sober for a year. Congrat. Let's do a sober party. Like it's just like what well, what about the people who why are we not showing that reinforcement to the people that didn't choose that? That right, came right. from like the people like us. Like, why are we not in the fucking street on Skid Row shooting up heroin together, holding hands? Right. Like, Which we we're, and no been. one gives a yeah. fuck about yeah. us. Nobody, there's not this societal reinforcement for people like us who don't right. take who that pathway. It. But then the people that do, and the people that struggle, and the people that are homeless, and the people on the street are getting all of this social reinforcement. Why would they change? For what? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That that's such a good point because my, I mean, my sisters, I mean, well, all of my older sis, my except one of them are addicts my brother my two older sisters they are addicts and then you know my nephew's an addict which is just you know it just down the line so i mean it's i definitely could have been an addict i definitely could have been homeless i definitely could have chose that pathway but i chose differently which my reinforcement was the accomplishments that i've got that was reinforcing to me being able to be smart in school being able to uh, get these degrees my accolades that was my reinforcement and that is why i continued down that path even though the response effort was harder Um, but it was just more reinforcing for me so it's really difficult because when you say we give so much empathy and sympathy to drug addicts, I am one of those people because I used to be around. So I get it. I used to be, I, I I give so much. And my husband's like, why do you feel bad for your nephew? Like he too. I'm like, I know, but that's my baby. Like that's my baby. Like that's like literally like I grew up like his mom, even though I'm three years older, I feel like I'm his mom because his mom is an addict. So like my nephew and my niece, like those are my babies. And I'm like, I know, but that's my baby. That's my, that's my Jordy. Like, no, like he's not an addict. Like I see him as the baby, the kid that he used to be, but it's, I totally understand. Like we do give a lot of sympathy because they did have a hard life and they did deal with trauma, but it comes back to, we need to deal with those traumas. We need to start enforcing some consequences and we really need to focus on true behavior change as a society. If we want to if we want to change the the trajectory of this homelessness problem because it's just right. getting worse at this point and no, it's, it's getting true. worse where it's it's uh, affecting our lives we don't feel safe in our homes because they're right. constantly breaking into our apartment complex um i don't feel safe going out at night to my car because there's constantly homeless people on the corner of the street um so it is affecting right. my day-to-day life at this point and this is why i'm like something needs to change and it's not yes. as this conversation is not going to change anything but it could be a catalyst to more people talking about it and you know maybe whatever like we have to go to like the policymakers. it's going to be like a, right. not like a change overnight but something does have to give no for sure definitely so let's do the task analysis breakdown Today we are doing B5 schedule of reinforcement. So Lisa is a single mom of five. She's looking for a job that can be flexible with her busy life as a mom. She finds a 
job working retail that will pay her minimum wage, which is only $11 an hour. And they are willing to give her graveyard shifts um, and only give her 20 hours a week. Her neighbor is offering if she or is asking if she can watch her two kids for under the table and she will pay her $20 an hour with no obviously with no taxes. Um, according to which concept Lisa will choose the under the table babysitting job. So according to matching law, Lisa will probably choose the under the table nanny job because it pays more. So matching law is reinforcement goes, no, sorry, behavior goes where reinforcement flows. So if you are getting paid more in one contingency and you're able to work at home and it's a, it's a response effort is lessened, you're most more likely to choose that path versus the other path where you're getting paid less. And then, you know, you have to work graveyards. Your kids would be sleeping home at, alone at night. So matching law is behavior goes or reinforcement flows. Right. And I feel like this whole episode, honestly, is centered around matching, matching law, law with everything that we're talking yes. about. Like that goes with everything. Like it's not just like, oh, I'm reinforced there. We're talking about like the response effort too. Like, oh, okay, if I am homeless in California, I have – all of these resources mm -hmm. readily available to me mm -hmm. wherever I need to go. And mm -hmm. it's just there. I don't have to have this response effort of going down to an office, filing some paperwork, sitting there for three hours, maybe getting approved for these things that I need. It's all just accessible and free. So that just goes together too. I love matching law. Matching law is one of my favorite concepts. I just, it's just, it all, it's always true. It's always, always true. Yes. <laughs> it's always true. All right, guys. So that was episode. We never know. Episode seven. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow us on our Instagram, ABA on a pod. You can find me at Objective Outcomes. And you can find me at Behavior with Ash. And thanks for listening.